Hey everyone, my name is Josh Scroggins, a pastor of New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. been and so I want to give you just a quick update for those who've been wondering it's been a while a lot of stuff has happened in the time I've seen a lot of you first of all uh, I did write and publish another book Um, some of you guys have that okay I said the prayer now what Um, I I'm I'm already kind of just blown away at at how that's being used and I think they ordered 200 books here and they're almost sold out already um Thank you guys for buying those, but also for giving them out. I'm, I'm trusting that you're not just buying them and sticking them in a closet somewhere. And when I see a book sold, it, it makes me excited because I know that represents somebody that is learning more about Christ, that's learning more about God, that's getting close. That's, that's what that book represents to me. It's, it's not the book's sale numbers. I don't care about that. I care about the people that they represent. And I actually got to, to meet one in the back here that was just kind of telling, hey, we're doing, a, we're doing a whole study on this book. It's amazing. It, um, man, that, that just, just that comment, let me just say, that made writing the book worth it, just to, just to hear that. Um, working on another uh, couple of books right now, actually. One of them is a collaboration with your pastor, with Pastor Randy, my dad, uh, called Anger, an American Epidemic, that I really hope will be finished by the end of the year. Um, working on one more, and why am I talking about books so much? Well, because our message today that I want to share with you inspired the book I'm also working on. Um, Particularly, though, more than the writing stuff, um, I became a father. And what, what a journey. Wow, what a journey that has been already. And it's only been a couple of months, and I know I'm just getting started. It is, it is an interesting phenomenon that happens, though, when you become a parent. You see everything different, and I find myself so often revisiting things that I loved to do as a kid and thinking, Man, I can't wait until I get to do this with him and see him enjoy it and kind of kind of see the world again through fresh eyes and this this new perspective, and, and, and it, was, it was great. We had, uh, we had Christmas lights up, and he is, and I don't know if this is every baby, but he particularly is fascinated with lights anything that has to do with lights he just loves it so christmas lights were up he was loving it and so then we took our christmas lights down uh yes people do take christmas lights down in january um just thought i'd throw that out there we we (laughs) took the christmas lights down i started looking up the ceiling where'd my lights go um so we ended up ordering some like kind of fancy disco light that we can just turn on and calms him down he just loves it and lay there and laugh and (laughs) interesting being a being a father though um one of the one of the things that i i loved as a kid was bible stories um i i am gifted and uh with my mom who is an amazing teacher and my grandfather who is 
I, I, will, I will argue hands down is the best storyteller I've ever met in my life. Um, it's just so gifted. And so growing up, I got to hear these stories. It was all this, these, these Bible stories was my favorite. And, and I loved hearing them. I loved telling them. It was just stories were just something amazing. And, and one of my favorite stories is one I'm going to share with you today. It must be one that has been preached a hundred times, probably by my grandfather at least, um, probably by my father, dozens of times by me. One of the stories that I think all of you will be familiar with, probably that we've heard so much that we kind of take it for granted. And so what I want to do today is I want to combine all of this stuff I've been talking about. I want to take a story that was a childhood favorite of mine that I can't wait to share with my son. But I want to look at it from new perspective, from a perspective that you have probably never heard before. And I just say probably because I've never heard it before. I grew up in church. I've heard a lot of preachers. I figure if I haven't heard it, there's probably not a whole lot of people have done it from this perspective. But I want to do it in a little different style, and that's the style of a writer. One of the things I loved doing in school was creative writing. I loved to write stories. And what I want to do today is I want to share a story. I just, I just want to tell a story today. Uh, the message I have for you is a very simple message. It's a simple one-point message. It is not a complicated message to follow, but I do want to share this story because the point I want to make is powerful. And it is, it, it's amazing. The most profound things are the most simple things. And as I share this with you, I want you to, to use your imagination today. Before I do that, I, uh, there's a tradition in this church I want to make sure that I follow. And that is that my dad, Pastor Randy, always has a big thought. Right? There's always a big thought. And it's, it's funny to me, when I, anytime I would come down, uh, Gail would send me a message and say, Hey, uh, what's your big thought? And I said, I don't have one. Um, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't, I don't do that. Um, I can give you the title of my message. Is that a big thought? So I knew this was coming, so I wanted to prepare myself. And uh, then I found that, that my brother, Jeremiah, when he got up to speak, he says, you know, I want to do this, but I got to put my own twist on it, right? So, so he says, Dad has the big thought. I've got the large idea. <laughs> but okay, well, I feel like I need to share my own with my own little twist on it. Colossal concept. My colossal concept is simply this. If you take the step no one else is willing to take, you give them the courage to take it as well. And my entire story today focuses on this point. Many of you right now, you have a calling on your life. You have something that God is prompting you to do. Maybe you have been waiting. Maybe you are that person that is, I feel like God is telling me to do something. I just, I don't know if I could make that step. I'm not sure if I, if I could quite do that. I'm afraid of whatever. Today, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith. 
in whatever area that might be. Maybe, maybe that means sharing your testimony with someone. Maybe that means that when you come to church, you don't wait for anyone else in the room to raise their hand first. You don't wait for anyone else in the room to say amen. That you make the first step, whatever that is. But I want to encourage you today to take a step of faith because you never know who you might empower when you do that. From time to time, our image, our, we, our, our nation is subjected to images of war. Whether it's images of our withdrawal from Afghanistan or Iraq and Iran or dictators like uh, the ones in North Korea or China routinely persecuting and slaughtering their own people. Whether it is images of 9-11 or whatever you might have, we have all been affected at some point by these images. And if, as a civilian, I am affected by these images, I can only imagine how they would affect a soldier. How it would affect a soldier actually seeing that. And, and, and if that is true of soldiers now, imagine what it would be like of soldiers in ancient times. I want to pray, and then we are going to, uh, we're just going to jump right into this. If you bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, in the next few moments, I pray, speak through me. I ask God that you would take what is a simple message and you would expand upon it and personalize it to every person within the sound of my voice today. Pray, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears and that, God, you would speak to your people today. We love you so much, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talk about this way that war has a way of eliciting emotions, strong emotions in us. And when these strong emotions arise, soldiers are taught to fall back on their training. If your emotions go crazy, if you don't know what to do, fall back on the training you were given. But still, it's not uncommon for a soldier to let their emotions get the best of them. And this is true today, but it was especially true before the invention of firearms. Because today, most killing takes place at great distance on the battlefield. With, with a gun, with a artillery, with a, a missile, with a rocket, with a, a plane. It's at great distances, but in ancient times, it took place at the tip of a spear or a sword. Close, personal. It was not uncommon for a typical soldier to survive a minute or less in these battles. And the casualties rates were huge. Any time a nation went to war, the losses would be incredible. And those who survived were never the same again. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is shown to excel at war. And interestingly enough, they didn't win the wars with their weapons as much as they did with their numbers and with their tactics. They were tactically brilliant. They specialized in light infantry and guile, cunning, made up of tribes, and each tribe specialized in a certain type of warfare. In 1 Chronicles 12, we actually see a snapshot of what these armies look like. The tribe of Benjamin was trained to be ambidextrous with bows and slings. The Gadites used a large spear and shield, said to be as swift as gazelles on the mountains. Sons of Judah and, and Naphtali, 
also used spears and shields. And the Zebulonites may well have been the equivalent of rangers, specialized in every kind of weapon. Israeli soldiers were trained to be fearless, to be quick, to exploit the element of surprise. And Israel often used night movements and attacks. They sent spies, like they did into Jericho, to check out the land first and find ways they can hit it unaware. They exploited disunity among city-states. They used battle cries to disorient and dishearten their enemies. And the bulk of Israel's army did not wear heavy armor. They wore very light armor. They used light, fast weaponry. They specialized in quick attacks. And a guerrilla-like army made with sickle swords and bows and slings and daggers. But now I want to compare that and contrast that with the army they are facing when we get to the story I want to tell you today. And that is the army of the Philistines. And the Philistines were very, very different. They were not made up of light infantry. Philistines were not trained to hit fast, and they were not trained to hit by surprise. They were trained to hit hard. They had heavy armor, and more importantly than that, they had really advanced weaponry, which was chariots that gave them a huge advantage in battle. Chariot technology was this massive advantage, and so Israel oftentimes had to use the terrain to help them and make it difficult for chariots to get around. When we get to our story, the Philistines and Israel are at a stalemate. They have met at the Valley of Elah, one on each side of the valley with the valley in between them. And neither army is willing to advance. Because to advance means that you have to go down into the valley and then go uphill and fight your way uphill. Meanwhile, the enemy has archers and slingers and they can be raining down stones and arrows on you. So neither army is willing to advance. And so for a moment, what I want you to do now is prep your imagination. And I want you for just a moment today to put yourself into the shoes of one of these soldiers of Israel. And I want to help you get in the mindset of what it would be like. So first of all, as one of these soldiers, you have been trained with fast, light weapons. You've been trained for sneak attacks. You know how to surprise the enemy. You know how to sneak around and get... But now, you are not in a place where you can take advantage of sneak attacks because they're all looking right at you. You ever had someone try to sneak up on you while you're looking at them? (laughs) It's not very good, right? On top of that, you don't have terrain advantage. Not if you charge. On top of that, the weapons you've got are really small. They're fast, they're great, but the enemy has really thick armor. You're not getting through. So the only way you're you're, you're having a chance is to try to get around the armor. It's not that you can't do it, but they definitely have an advantage. And now as a soldier, you're looking at it and thinking, this is not the kind of war I was trained to fight. This was not the type of battle that I'm equipped for. And the only thing keeping you alive at the moment is that you have archers and slingers ready in case the enemy charges. And if they're foolish enough to charge, then all you have to do is hold them back. But still there is the ever-present fear that your king, Saul, might issue the order to charge. 
And if that happens, Lord help you. Now, as one of these soldiers in the army of Israel, there's a couple of possibilities that you might have to survive this battle. First of all, Israel could surrender. You'll survive, but you'll be slaves. If Saul does this, you live, but your life is gone. Second, you can pray that the enemy actually charges you. But besides those two, there's only one option. There's only one way out of this battle. Alive. It's called single combat. Single combat was something that would be done in ancient times as a way of protecting lives. Armies would come together, and, and, and rather than lose thousands of people on both sides, they would agree to terms, and they would send out one soldier, one fighter, one champion, a white knight, if you will, to go out into the field and fight the other army's champion. And both sides would agree ahead of time, whoever wins this fight wins the battle. And as long as they continued to uphold to that, and everybody knew these are the terms, both sides would agree. And this is where, as a soldier in the Israeli army at this time, it's good news for you. Because your king, Saul, is huge. He is a big guy. King Saul, the Bible tells us, is head and shoulders above anyone else in the nation. Probably six and a half, seven foot tall. He's a big guy. And in single combat, size and strength make all the difference. But then, something happens. You get up like any other day. You put on your armor like every other day. You go to the front lines like every other day and look out across the valley like every other day. Hoping that you live one more day. But then a challenge for single combat is issued. And the terms are very simple. Whoever loses becomes slaves to the winner. Now normally, this would be good news. King Saul is a big guy. He's got the finest armor. He has the finest weapons. But there is a problem. The man issuing the challenge is the largest man you have ever seen. And he makes King Saul look like a child. This man stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, why do you come out to draw up in battle formation? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man as your representative. Have him come down to me. If he's able to fight me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Then the Philistines said, I have defied the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man so that we may fight together. When Saul, the biggest, and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and very fearful. I don't know what that was. I'm just realizing that's a very missed opportunity right there. I could have just played like that was a part of the sound effect of the story. <laughs> just pretend like that was a battle horn or something. <laughs> every day, every day you walk out, and now your normal is different. 
before you walked out not sure what's going to happen, not sure if you're going to charge or if they're going to charge, but now you know there's a challenge that must be answered. At this point now, your life is spared, maybe. You now know at the very least you become slaves, and somehow if a miracle can happen, maybe he has a heart attack mid-battle and someone survives. Every day for a month, this man walks out onto the battlefield and belittles Israel, insults your king, and tries to provoke somebody to take up the challenge. And you pray no one is foolish enough to step out onto that field. Because as soon as someone does, they're going to die and you become a slave. And you know it. Nobody is standing against this guy. You no longer fear the order to charge. You fear that someone will be foolish. You feel that someone will be stupid. Forty days go by. And every day you get up out of your tent, you put on your armor, you go to the front lines. Every day you get up and you wonder what is going to happen today. Fear has become your new normal. And just like every other day, you get into the trench and you line up with your brothers in arms, other soldiers in the trench with you, looking over. One of them's name is Eliab. They're with his two brothers, Shema and Abinadab. And as you're talking about the battle, as you're trying to, to get their gauge on, is there something going to happen? We've been 40 days. What is going to happen? And you're talking to these guys when a young boy walks up to them. He smells like sheep. It's a smelly kid doing on the battlefield. Bring some Lunchables with him. Bread and cheese. Turns out this young kid is actually the brother of the three guys you've been hanging out with, hiding with. And as he is there giving them lunch, Goliath of Gath steps out onto the field again. Issues his challenge again, and everybody does what they've always done. They duck. Why? Because if their head is seen poking up, he might think they accept it. And so everybody just, he comes out, who's going to challenge me? And I'm like, nope, not me. <laughs> but you notice something a little weird this time. Everybody ducks except for one person, and that's this kid who perks up. And, and, and you begin to wonder in your head if there's maybe something wrong with this boy. I mean, clearly his brothers don't like him. He smells like sheep. Why would the dad kind of kick him out of the house to go take care of smelly, stupid animals? Why, why, why is he out there? That's a, that's a dishonorable job, right? Maybe there's something wrong with this kid. Clearly he's not afraid. He should be. And you wonder, maybe there's something wrong. But then that curiosity turns to assurance when he says, what do I get if I kill him? Yeah. Yeah, there's something wrong with this kid. So you look at his brothers like, bless his heart. For those of you who didn't grow up in the South, bless his heart, not a compliment. So as you're in this this trench, and you're looking at these fellow soldiers, and, 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 and this boy looks at one of the soldiers, what do I get if I kill him? And Eliab, his older brother, turns, burns with anger, and chews him out. And you think, well, 
That was harsh. But good job. But this kid doesn't, doesn't take it. He's, no, 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 no. I want an answer. And now he turns to you. What do I get if I kill that guy? Now, your first instinct is to tell this kid to take a hike. Because clearly he's touched in the head. Maybe the journey's been long. He's been out in the sun too long. You don't know. But whatever the case is, this little kid, he doesn't have armor. You're looking at it like he's got a stick. <laughs> he's got just clothes on. He's got a stick. He smells like sheep. He's asking to kill a guy. I don't know what's going on right now. You want to tell him to take a hike, but you know that's not your place. So you just answer the question. Okay, look, you'll, you'll get money. You get to no, no taxes anymore. And you get to marry the king's daughter. And at that moment, when you say marry the king's daughter, he says, I'm going to kill him. And what goes through your head is, bless his heart. As he begins talking more and more, and you can see the wheels turning in his head. You look at this kid and you see him pacing. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm taking this guy out. Um, and you see him working himself up into something that you think better stop. <laughs> this is something I'm, I'm actually learning as a father. When I start seeing my little baby's lip, I start doing this. And I know if I don't step in, Something's about to happen. <laughs> you see this boy pacing back and forth, and you see the, the emotion stirring up, and he is working himself into something. And a man comes by and says, Hey, King Saul heard about you, heard what you're saying. He wants to see you, and takes him off. And you think to yourself, That poor kid. <laughs> Saul is about to rip him to pieces. He is sowing discord among the troops. That is a bad situation. A while goes by, you haven't seen the kid. You're talking to his brothers like, you think he's okay? Is there something wrong with this kid? And they say, which one? You say, that one. Wait a minute. And you look out, and, and he's walking out on the field. Now, this kid is walking toward the giant. And you know, he's been asking for someone to challenge. If this kid dies, you become a slave. And the first thing going through your head is, is well, that's, that's strange. Maybe he's lost. Hey, hey, wrong way. We're over here. Don't go that way. And he just keeps on walking. Hey, wait a minute. Wait, wait, I got, I think I understand. I bet you, I bet you King Saul sent him out there with a message. He's got to be there to negotiate terms. That's got to be what happened. I mean, look at him. He doesn't have any armor on. He's not carrying a weapon. He's got a stick. He's walking out there toward this angry giant. It's got to be it, right? King Saul must be sending him to negotiate terms. We've got, we got to have some kind of a peace. I don't know if we're surrendering or if maybe we're calling it a truce. Or, but he's got to be sending him out there for, for terms. And then the giant steps forward and threatens to kill this kid. And you think to yourself, negotiations are not starting well. Hopefully, this kid is a smooth talker. Hopefully, this kid can calm this giant down and doesn't say something that might make him too angry. Hopefully, this kid can calm him down so we can have peace talks. And then, this kid, smelling like sheep, carrying a stick, speaks. And a chill runs down your spine. Because here's what he says. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a saber. 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you and remove your head from you. And then I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky, to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know there is a God in heaven. And this entire assembly may know that what the Lord does, not save by the sword or the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. <laughs> now, I appreciate the clap. I appreciate the applause. That is not what the soldiers were feeling. <laughs> what the soldiers were thinking is, did that kid just threaten to kill Goliath? He's not wearing any armor. He just said he's going to cut that head off, right? You heard that? He doesn't have a sword. Another soldier speaks up and says, he couldn't reach Goliath's head if he did have a sword. This kid doesn't have a chance. He's going to die. There's no way King Saul authorized this. If this young man accepts the challenge, he's going to die. You're going to be a slave. Fear all of a sudden overtakes you because you know at this moment it is hopeless. All hope is gone. And then that fear is replaced with shame. Shame. Why? Because you realize that this young boy is doing what you, a trained soldier, should have done for the last 40 days. This young boy is now going to die because you were too scared to act. Against this giant of a man in full armor, this young boy has no chance. He's going to die. Where is he? As the emotions begin to run, this, this thought occurs to you. That there was something about the passion of the words he just spoke. He had a confidence about his words that you feel like you've heard about before. You look at a soldier next to you and said, the battle belongs to the Lord. That's what he said, right? Soldier says, yeah, yeah, that's what he said. That's what, I th that's what I thought he said, because that sounds familiar. I remember hearing stories about this kind of thing before, right? And, and suddenly you remember stories about the plagues of Egypt and how God rained plagues down on a, on a nation to free his people. You all of a sudden recall the parting of the Red Sea, the walls of Jericho, miracle after miracle after miracle, and you remember that God protected his people over and over and over again, and you begin to wonder, is it possible could God really help a young boy with a stick defeat a gigantic warrior covered head to toe in armor and weapons? Is it possible? How could it be possible? But I think it is. And suddenly fear turns to shame and shame turns to hope. What a weird mix of feelings. But suddenly the atmosphere changes. The Philistines begin to chant and to cheer, and Goliath begins to run. And then you see something you never thought you'd see before. A young boy with a stick 
charging a giant in full armor. And you think to yourself, I know God is about to do something. I feel it. There's something happening right now. But how is it possible? I cannot wait to see what he does with that stick. And as he's running, he drops the stick. And your mind goes, what is happening right now? Now he doesn't have anything. Wait, look at his other hand. He's got a strap. That's not just leather. That's a sling. Why didn't someone think about that? And you grab the soldier next to you. He says, I think this is happening. And he runs at the giant. He puts a sling, uh, stone in the sling. He begins to whirl it around. The giant does not even know. The battle rules have changed. Goliath still thinks he's in for a sword fight. And before he knows what happens, David whirs it, throws it, hits the giant, and he's down. And now your mind goes to this question. Did he kill him? Or is he just stunned? Because if he's stunned, he's going to be really mad when he gets up. <laughs> and Goliath does not have a chance. David does not wait for the answer. He begins running to Goliath and says, stay right there. I made you a promise. And he gets Goliath's sword, pulls it out, and cuts the giant's head off. <laughs> And suddenly now, the atmosphere is different. Why? Because one man took a step of faith that nobody else was willing to take. And as everybody else was scared and fearful and hiding and cowering, the atmosphere now is courage. And the men of Israel rise up and charge. The Bible tells us that when the Philistines saw the champion was dead, they fled. When the men of Israel and Judah, the ones who were hiding, then they rose up and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley, the gates of Ekron, and the Philistines dead lay all the way to Sharain, even Gath and Ekron. And then the sons of Israel returned and plundered the Philistine camps on the way back. Now this whole time, I've had you put yourself in the shoes of one of these soldiers. Here's the twist ending. You were never called to be the soldier. You were called to be David. You were not called to cower in fear from the giants of this world. You were called to step out in faith and conquer those giants. This world is full of people just like that soldier who know what is right to do but lack the courage to take the step and they are just waiting for someone to take the first step. So be that person. Be the person who speaks up when the giants of this world defy your God. Be that person to courageously stand up for what is right even when the world is preaching nothing but wrong. Be the person to call out injustice and prejudice when you see it. Be the person who fights for the innocent, who cannot fight for themselves. Be the person who steps out in worship and says, I will not wait for someone else. I will worship God now. And when you do, you encourage others. Encourage that word literally means to put courage into someone. And that's what David did to an army that was full of fear. That's what you do when you share your testimony with someone. Encourage. 
That's what you do when you let your kids see you put God first. You give them the courage to do it as well. Encourage, that's what you do when you, you refuse to be dishonest at work, when everybody else is telling you to do it. They say, no, I will not do this. This is wrong. I'm going to take a stand. And you suddenly encourage all of those around you to realize to do what is right. They knew all along. Around here, we say it like this. Someone has to take the first step. It might as well be me. Someone has to stand for what's right. It might as well be me. Someone has to declare the goodness of God. Say it. It might as well be me. Someone has to tell the devil, you will not have my family. So it might as well be me. Someone has to declare the goodness of God to this world. It might as well be me. Someone has to be the first to shout out with a voice of triumph. It might as well be me. Someone has to tell my friends about Jesus. It might as well be me. Someone has to pray over my kids. It might as well be me. I'm not waiting for someone else to do what I know is right. You are not called to cower in fear and wait for someone else to act. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but he has given you a power and love and a sound mind. There are so many people in this world waiting for you to take a stand, to take a step. And when you do, it will unleash a flood of faith. You might be the one who begins the revival we have all been praying for. You might be the one who makes a difference in an entire community that has been waiting for God to make a move. I say this, if somebody is going to have to take that first step, it might as well be me. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support. We'll see you next time.